Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to everyone. We're so glad that you've come to worship with us today. And I know some mothers are not here. They're worshiping with their family at other churches. But we're glad that you're here. And uh, it's so good to be in God's house to feel his presence and to be with our family and our friends. So we welcome you. And I think that uh, we, all the men in the building needs to stand. And let's honor all the women this morning. All the men, let's stand and let's honor all the women today. Give them a great big, tell them how much you love them. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. We love all of you so very, very much. And God bless you. Amen. It's so good to see Sister Mana. Mana, it's so good to see you. She's our former bookkeeper, and she's had some health challenges, and today's a victory for her to be here. And so we love you, Sister Mana. Would you give it up for Sister Mana today? And so as we, pay it, as we look to the Word of God this morning, if this is your first or second time here, I'd like to personally welcome you and thank you for worshiping with us and visiting with us today. Tiffany and I will be at the Next Step booth. We'd like to shake your hand and get to meet you and greet you this morning and give you a free Chick-fil-A card. How many likes Chick-fil-A? And so I'll thank you so much for being with us. But as we uh, ponder for a few moments on the Word of God, and we look to the Word of God about Mother's Day. Now I have pastored, this is my 20th year in pastoring. I started at a very young age, and mostly that's what I've done for the most part of my life, and Mother's Day is probably not my favorite topic to preach on. I'm not very good at Mother's Day, Father's Day. I'm not good at those topics. I love Christmas. I love Easter. I love to really preach hard on those. And, but when it comes to days like this, sometimes I struggle a little bit. But um, I really did purpose in my heart this year to be very intentional about sharing something with you that I felt that would minister to all the mothers, all the women, and all the men as well. And so I was very intentional about it. I did um, look through the scriptures and was very intentional with my prayer life about what I could share with you that would minister to your heart. And so I was directed to a scripture that maybe is, I haven't heard a lot. I certainly haven't heard about preached a lot. And so just for a few moments, uh, this is going to be, I'm just going to talk from my heart for a few moments about what I saw in the scripture. So um, nothing fancy. Uh, We may not shout this morning, but the word is important. And I just want to talk with you about what I felt like the spirit revealed to me as I was studying the scripture. And I was really ministered to as I studied the scripture and I saw things that I never saw before. And so I would like to share that with you this morning. Would it be okay if I shared that with you? Would that be okay? Um, There's a scripture found in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. And I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. And I want you to listen very carefully to the words of this passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1 through 10. And I've titled today's sermon, or my talk, The tell of two mothers. The tell of two mothers. Can you say that with me this morning? The tell of two mothers. It's found in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1, reading out the New Living Translation. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar, pitch. She put the baby in the basket, laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw a baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Now one translation says she had compassion on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse it for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for what I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. The tell of two mothers. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our heart that we would hear your word, and your word would go forth in power and in boldness. And everyone shouted a great big amen. You know, Mother's Day has a range of emotions. Some of you get to be with your mothers today. You'll probably go out to eat or go back to your house and have a time of celebration with your mothers. Some of you, it's a day of maybe grieving because you've lost your mother this past year. Today in church, you're reminiscing the memories that you've had with your mother. Some of you, you're kind of numb because you didn't really have a good relationship with your mother. You didn't really have a good role model as a mother. And you're trying to navigate your way through this life without a role model called mother. You see, all of us have different experiences when it comes to our parents And I'm convinced that the way we view our parents sometimes colors our view of God. If we have a bad relationship or had a bad relationship with our father, sometimes it colors the view of how we see our heavenly father. If our relationship with our mother was dysfunctional, sometimes it kind of, it kind of create a, it can create a dysfunction in our spiritual life. I remember reading one book called The Emotionally Healthy Spiritual Leader. And the author said in the book, I'll never forget this. He said, Jesus could be in your heart, but grandpa could be in your bones. In other words, just because we're saved and born again and love Jesus doesn't mean that we are exempt from emotional hurt. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from emotional pain. I'm convinced that some of the most wounded people are believers and Christians. Because sometimes we want to mask over our pain. We want to mask over our hurt spirituality. We want to put up the front 
I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm, at, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Come on, say it with me. I'm above. I'm blessed. And how, you all know, you know the Christianese. You've heard it before. And I'm not saying the Christianese is bad because I've done it before. But sometimes I just want to stop people and say, just tell me the truth. How are you really feeling? And today I'm asking you, would you take the mask off? Would you take the religious mask off? Would you take the mask of Christianity off? Would you take the mask of I'm blessed and highly favored above and not beneath? You just put it aside for a few moments. And sometimes it's good just to come in reality with our pain and be okay with it. Because if you're ever going to heal something, you've got to face it. Because he will not fix what you won't face. You've got to fix. In order for him to fix it, you've got to face it. And if you don't reveal it, he won't heal it. So you've got to reveal some things before he heals it. And you've got to face it before he fixes it. And sometimes we just got to release the mask and take it off. You know, I remember one time during the pandemic, we were all concerned about sanitizing our hands and wearing masks. And I remember in prayer, the Lord said to me, the greater challenge is to sanitize your heart. I was like, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Did you all just hear, did you just hear what Pastor Josh just said? I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me as I was praying, you know, the greater challenge is everybody sanitizing their hands and wearing masks, but they failed to sanitize their hearts. And sometimes we got to take a few moments on special days like this and evaluate our heart. As I looked at this story, I thought this story was brilliant. It's the tale of two mothers. You have a mother who is Moses' mother. Now the scripture says that Moses' mother took this baby, which is Moses, and put him in a little basket and pushed him down the river. Now I'm paraphrasing for a few moments for the sake of time. But the reason that she did that was because Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, he made a decree that all of these children should be murdered. Just murder these children. Now that's a hard decree to make, but obviously Pharaoh's heart was evil. And so Moses' mother wanted to preserve Moses. So what did she do? She put him in a basket and pushed him down the Nile River, hoping that Moses would be saved in the end. And then the scripture tells us that Pharaoh's daughter was out in the river. Pharaoh's daughter was out in the river. And lo and behold, she comes across a basket with a baby in it. And the scripture tells us, the New Living Translation says she was sorry for the baby. But the New King James says that she had compassion on the baby. And the Bible tells us, to make a long story short, that she couldn't nurse the baby, but she had somebody else to nurse it. She had a Hebrew woman to nurse it. Well, guess who they found to nurse the baby? Moses' mother. Moses' mother was the actual person to nurse this little baby, Moses. And after the baby was nursed, what happened? 
She took the baby back to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter raised it in the Egyptian life. Now that's an interesting story. That's the beginning of Moses' life. And it's an interesting story. And I've read this story before over and over, but there were a few things about this story that I thought was totally relevant, especially for Mother's Day. Especially for Mother's Day. And the few things that I want you to see in this story that I think is totally relevant for Mother's Day is, number one, I want you to see that both of these women, the tale of two mothers, both of these women protected Moses. You see, Moses' mother protected him by saving him from murder. She was hoping by putting him in a basket that this baby would be saved. And Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby in the river, and she made sure not only was he protected, but that also that he was supplied for, that it was taken care of. So, number one, the tale of two mothers, both of these women protected this baby. Both of them. It's really interesting that Pharaoh's daughter went against her father's decree and saved the baby. She went against her father's wishes and she saved a baby. She knew it was a Hebrew baby. It wasn't an Egyptian baby. She knew that and she saved the baby anyway. She went against her father's wishes. Moses' mother, the real mom, the biological mom, went against Pharaoh's wishes and she saved her child and put him in a basket. Both of these women protected their baby. Both of these women loved that baby. Number two, not only was there protection over the baby, but there was provision over the baby, right? I mean, number one, the biological mother put the baby in a little basket. She provided for the baby. And number two, Pharaoh's daughter, what did she do? She got him a nurse, which she didn't know was his actual mother. She made sure that the baby was supplied for and taken care of. And not only did she make sure that the baby had a nurse, but she named the baby Moses. She named him, and the Bible also says that Pharaoh's daughter adopted the baby as her own baby. Now, I've pondered over this scripture, and I have to ask the question, what is the significance of this story. What would be the significance of what's happening in this story? What does it really take to be a mother? Is there something in this story that gives us a clue and a key to tell us what really happens for the mama? What does it take to be a mother? What's interesting, I want you to see in verse number six. I want you to see that the Bible says in verse number six that she named the baby. And not only did she name the baby, she adopted the baby as her own. But the Bible also says that she felt sorry for him, which is another word for compassion. She had compassion on him. Could it be that what really takes to be a mom is to have compassion? You see, one mother gave birth to the baby, but the other mother raised him. One mother was biological. 
but the other mother adopted him. My friends, isn't that the story of some of our lives? All of us have biological mothers, but maybe your biological mother wasn't really in your life. And that is why God always makes up for the loss. God sent Pharaoh's daughter from an unlikely place, an unlikely source, an Egyptian, to raise a Hebrew. Because in God's plan, in God's narrative, God is not a debtor to no man. God made sure that even though that little baby could not have his biological mother, he made sure he sent someone along to raise him. You see, my friends, being a mother is not necessarily giving birth to a child. Being a mother is having compassion on someone else. Being a mother is opening your heart and having compassion on someone else. How many could raise your hand and say, Pastor, I have loved children that was really not my own, but I love them as if they were my own. Because that's what happens. When you open up your heart and you begin to love people that's not your biological family, it brings them into your circle of trust. You remember the cross of Jesus? When Jesus was dying on the cross and his arms were stretched open on that Roman cross, none of his disciples were there but one. His name was John. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, John was with Jesus' mother. I love this. I think one of the most revolutionary scriptures is found at the cross. Because as Jesus was dying on the cross, he looks at his mother and he looks at the only disciple that showed up. One disciple. Because it's clear, the closer you get to the cross, the less the crowd is. (laughs) Can I hear an amen? Jesus starts out with the multitude and then it goes to the 70, then it goes to the 12, then it goes to the three, then it goes to the one. Because the closer you get to the cross, the less of the commitment that you have in people. I'm preaching better than you're shouting here. But at the cross, at the cross, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks at the only disciple and this is what he says. John, Behold, my mother. What was he saying? I'm giving the care of my mother to you, John. John wasn't his biological family. But can I tell you something, church? At the cross, we all become family. Hallelujah. At the cross, we all become family. And as at the cross... There was something happened at the cross. At the cross, the bloodline is important. It's good that we have mothers and fathers. It's good that we have siblings. It's good that we have family time. There's nothing wrong with that. But folks, let me tell you something. Some people don't have families. Some people don't have families. And that is why you should never belittle the church. Because you have a family and you have kids, and you have outings, that doesn't mean our widows and our orphans have families. Do you know the one thing in the scripture that the apostles tells us to take care of is widows and orphans? 
But the church is so composed of marriage seminars and seminars over this, and we forget the one thing that the true and undefiled religion, John says, is taking care of widows and orphans. What is the scripture trying to tell us? We need to make sure that we become the family of God to people who don't have biological family. We become family. Listen, I'm not belittling family at all. I'm getting ready to have a family. I have a family. But I want to let you know, family is great. But let's expand our definition of family. You are a part of an eternal family this morning that will live on throughout the ages of eternity. Some of your biological family may not make it, but us together, if we're in Christ, we will live on together throughout the endless ages of eternity. And the church is an example of what the family of God should be. That is why I can't wait to get to church because you're not a church member to me. You are my family because at the cross, we were made family at the cross. We're made family at the cross. I look over the audience today. I can pick several of you that I've become close to. You know, some people you just become closer to, not because you play favorites, it's just because maybe you connect on a different level with some people. I love everybody, believe me. I love everybody. I'm very social, I'm very extrovert. I love everybody. And there's some people you just get closer to because you connect on certain levels and that's all right. And I remember in times in my life when I moved here 12 years ago, I didn't have any family here. I had a few distant relatives that meant a lot to me, but just right here, I didn't have any family. And I remember pastoring throughout these 12 years. You become my family. You were here when my mom passed away seven years ago. You were here when my uncle passed away of suicide. You were here when people, you were here when people walked away and went to the church up the street. You stayed with me. We're family. We're family. We love each other. Family don't leave. We don't leave because there's a misunderstanding. We stay together because we're in the trenches together. You know why we stay together? Because you know my heart, and I know your heart, and we've been through some rough times together. You see what I'm saying? And, and, if, and if we can change, if we can change our theology about how we view church instead of consumerism, I'm going to go to church to see what it can do for me and my family You shouldn't come to church with a shopping cart about what you can get. I'm asking you come to a church like a family, get a shovel and help us build a house for our family. Hallelujah. So we can adopt some children. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is I want to be your spiritual father. You're my children. Let us build something for the kingdom of God and let us go out and get adopted children and let us bring children in and let us adopt them. People want a family. People want a family. And as I read this story, mother... Moses' mother did something that hurt her heart. She had to give up her baby, but she gave up her baby because she knew it was best 
for that baby. And there are some mothers that give up their baby for adoption. Not because they want to, but because they know it's the only option they have. And they send that baby down the spiritual life called the River Nile. Hoping that that baby will get a better life. That person is still a mother. Pharaoh's daughter was a mother. She wasn't a mother biologically. But she was a mother by the heart. You see, there are mamas by the heart. And there's mamas biologically. There are fathers biologically. And there are fathers by the heart. And whether you're a father by the heart or a father biologically, we're family. I said, we're family. You remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus' mom and dad, or excuse me, Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters was standing outside of the house and he was in the house preaching. And they were asking for Jesus to come out. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, your mother and your siblings and your sister is asking for you to come out. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? They were startled. But Jesus said, my mother, my brother, and my sister is those who do the will of my father. You see? What Jesus was trying to do, he was trying to shift a mindset in his people and his followers that family is not just blood anymore. Family is about the heart. There is a new bloodline. It's called Jesus' blood, and it connects us greater than it could ever connect us before. And you know why we ask you to go to small groups? Because we're family. Do you know why I ask you to be a part of a small group? Is because I want you to get to know your family. You know why I ask you to come to church? Because I want to see you. I enjoy seeing your face. I enjoy your company. I enjoy family. I know it's good to have family time. But in the midst of you having family time, don't forget this family time. Don't don't forget this family time. Don't let your biological family be an idol in your life. Don't let it be. Make sure you have it balanced. Don't forget this family. Don't forget what God wants to do in this family. 